You're listening to The Itch, a podcast exploring all things allergy, asthma, and immunology. I'm your co-host, Courtney, a real-life allergy, asthma, and eczema girl. And I'm your second host, Dr. Payal Gupta, a board-certified allergy, asthma, and immunology doctor. Courtney and I hope to balance each other out so that we get you all the information that you want and need about allergies, asthma, and immunology. Today we're talking about those itchy little guys that pop up on your skin. Sometimes you know exactly why and sometimes you have no clue what in the devil caused them. Yes friends, I'm talking about urticaria, also known as hives in everyday talk. Dr. Shreya Patel, a double board certified allergist immunologist from Orlando, joins us to talk all about hives, which from this point on we will be referring to as urticaria. Today, we're going to talk about how you identify if what you're seeing on your skin is indeed urticaria, how it's diagnosed, the causes, and the treatments. If you're like me, this is a very welcome episode. I want to learn about hives, but I don't really want to Google hives because I get all itchy from looking at the pictures that pop up. So I'm really happy that we can hear all about hives without seeing it. Now, let's dive in. We have a special guest allergist. We're going to change things up a little bit and have more allergists come on to the show so that we can have different perspectives. Today, we have Dr. Shreya Patel. She is an allergist in Florida, and she's going to run us through what hives are. Another way to say hives is urticaria. We can't wait to talk to you, Shreya. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks, guys. Should we jump in and just what is urticaria? Am I saying that right? Yeah, you're saying that right. So urticaria, better known as hives, because like you said, a lot of people have trouble saying urticaria. So they're basically these itchy, raised, pale, reddish, circular welts that can appear on your skin. About a quarter of the general population actually can have hives at some point in their lives. I actually think that that's pretty common, and I'm personally a hive sufferer, so I feel the pain of it. They can appear at any age, although adults do commonly have it more than kids. Usually females are more affected and it can occur anywhere on your body as well. So it can be on your face, your arms, your legs, your chest, your back. So basically anywhere. Can you talk to us a little bit about how they're going to look? One thing that I think patients always get confused about is the way that they kind of come and go. Can you talk a little bit about that? The look of them can actually vary. So it can be little circular papules, which are just a few millimeters in size, or they can be larger welts, several centimeters in size. And you said it exactly right. It's almost got this fleeting appearance. So you can have a hive pop up, like one single individual spot. It'll pop up. It can last for just several hours, disappear, but then another one will pop up kind of next to it. So it's kind of like this transient coming and going all throughout, but usually each individual spot will only last a few hours, usually no more than 24 hours. And if it does last more than 24 hours, that's when you want to start thinking about different causes. Why do people get hives? So if it's obviously an allergic reaction, hives come into play a lot of times, but is there another cause for hives? Because you said that a quarter of the population gets it. So I'm curious, why in the heck do a quarter of the population get hives? Uh, so that's like the million dollar question, I think, in the allergy world for everything. So why, why do people have allergies, right? So when it comes to hives, let's talk first kind of what's happening inside your body on a cellular level. We all have these allergy cells. They're called mast cells. There's also some basophils, but mast cells 
cells are really, I think, the biggest player here in the picture. So what happens essentially is mast cells are activated, they're degranulated, and so that's like the process of them releasing several different mediators. The most common is really histamine, prostaglandin, bradykinin, so many different ones, but just let's remember histamine because I think that's the biggest one. When histamine is released, it causes vascular permeability, so almost like leaky vessels and fluid leaking. And so you get fluid accumulation, you also get inflammation at the surface of the skin, and that's what essentially on a cellular level leads to the welt on the surface of your skin. So is the hive basically the leaky fluid just popping up on the surface of your skin? And inflammation. So basically you get recruitment of all these inflammatory cells like neutrophils and lymphocytes and all this stuff. And so then you get this inflammation. So it's like the combination of the fluid, which gives you the bump, and then the inflammation, which gives you like the red, the heat, the itching. And I think that the reason that it comes and goes is that degranulation of mast cells kind of happens very quickly and Mm -hmm. then it can get resolved very quickly. Just the transient nature is one of the most important distinguishing factors for hives because there's not a lot of rashes that will come and go as quickly as hives do. And so that's really part of the diagnostic criteria is the fact that they don't leave any kind of marks behind because if it is more of a scarring rash or we see some kind of residual marks or anything, then we do need to start thinking about it being a different cause and not necessarily a hive. So Dr. G just said that hives don't leave any traces, but I'm just curious, how do you differentiate as a patient whether it's hives and whether that's something you need to go to your doctor about or whether it's a rash? Other than traces and the fact that they generally leave within 24 hours, is there anything else that we know to say that's a hive and that's a rash? That's kind of a loaded question. There's hundreds of different kinds of rashes out there. There are some distinguishing factors, just like Bio had already mentioned, with hives, one of them being that they generally do disappear within 24 hours. They should not leave behind any sort of bruising, hyperpigmentation when they do disappear. Another thing that's important also to note is that they really shouldn't be painful while they are intensely itchy. Sometimes people can say they feel a little hot, maybe a little bit of burning, but it should not be any sort of intense burning and they should not be painful. That's a red flag for a patient to really come go see a doctor right away as opposed to, you know, let me wait out and see if these hives just disappear on their own. Also, you know, sometimes it is over maybe like a joint or another part of your body that can can cause a little bit of discomfort or pain because that swelling can lead to difficulty in moving like a joint or if it's in the hands and you're trying to make your hand into a fist. Sometimes people will feel pain if they have kind of a severe episode of hives, but in any of those instances, and I think with any rash, it's always really good to talk to your doctor and make sure that it is what you're diagnosing it to be. So one thing I'd like to mention is that a hive is a type of a rash. So what is a rash? A rash is any type of skin irritation issue in general. That's, I guess, how you would generally define a rash. Would you agree, Shreya? Yeah. There are two different types of hive conditions, chronic and acute. Those two words sound kind of like the same to me, chronic and acute. So can you differentiate what that means? Yeah, sure. So acute really means something that occurs and lasts less than six weeks. And when you get into chronic, you're talking about hives that are lasting for more than six weeks. So it's really just like the time frame. And both cases, someone should go see their doctor. 
Yes. Okay, so the million dollar question is what makes hives appear? So I know that obviously for me, when I have an allergic reaction, hives appear pretty much the first thing. And then I'm like, okay, yeah, this is an allergic reaction and they can appear sometimes before any of the other symptoms. But otherwise, for those who don't have food allergies, why do they get hives? Yeah, so I think this also brings us back to your recent question of acute versus chronic. And I think sometimes breaking them down into acute versus chronic helps us then think about what is the etiology of the hive or what is actually causing the hive. So for acute, I usually think of more, just like you said, like a food allergy, allergic reaction, a medication allergy, an insect sting, even a virus, different things like that. Usually they result in in a reaction, you get the hives and they generally dissipate or disappear by six weeks. When you're getting into chronic hives or hives that last for more than six weeks, the differential gets a little bit more complicated or what's going on gets a little bit more complicated. So the most common cause of chronic hives is something called idiopathic urticaria or chronic spontaneous urticaria. That one is a difficult one for patients to get diagnosed with because it is essentially having hives for no known cause or no known reason. That's hard for a patient to hear, right? <laughs> like I have hives, but I you can't tell me what's causing them. That's actually the most common cause of chronic hives. That's really interesting because I know a lot of food allergy folks just get like one random hive pop up every now and then. And I'm always wondering, like, we're such safe people, you know, we have no allergens around. Why in the heck does this <laughs> random hive just show up? And it might just be that. And is that something that we could talk to our allergist about? Is like, sometimes a hive just appears and then it goes away, but it happens kind of often. But I know I haven't eaten anything. Absolutely. And that is a really common thing that I see in my office as well, where they're like, I'm I'm very strictly avoiding my food allergens. So why am I breaking out in hives? And so it could be this chronic idiopathic urticaria. It could also be another type of chronic urticaria, which are the physical urticaria. So these are more the chronic inducible ones. So basically this means they don't occur spontaneously like chronic idiopathic urticaria, but they incur because they're induced by something, usually due to some sort of direct physical exposure of the skin to like an extreme condition. So let's talk about some examples of that. So one example would be scratching or rubbing the skin. So that type of physical urticaria is called dermatographic urticaria. So if you break down those words, derma, skin, graphic is right, right? So this is basically the ability to write on your skin. This is something really cool that I see in my office. Like I can literally scratch a patient's arm and, and they'll get the linear hive marks in the pattern that I scratch the skin. So that's like literally being able to write on their skin. So that could be something that, you know, food allergy sufferer might have. And it's not that they're necessarily being exposed to their allergen, but maybe they have a physical urticaria that is popping up in different ways. Just so I understand. So if you scratch, so I scratch a line on my arm, say, would it be little welts showing, showing up on the arm and not just a red mark? So it's not just a red line, but it's actually like little tiny bumps that show up. No, you'll have a red line. Could someone just test if they have this by scratching their arm, say? Or would it happen, like, does it always happen in one part of their body? Does it happen all over? It can happen anywhere on the body. And actually, most prominently, usually where doctors will test you will be on your back. It tends to pop up the most on the back, but we we could test you on the arm too. Yes, somebody can just test themselves at home by scratching. Um, But again, a distinguishing factor, remember, it's not just going to be a a faint red line. Any of us would get a little bit of, uh, you know, erythema or redness if we scratch ourselves, but it's going to be a raised, what we call a welt, but a raised line. 
where you scratched yourself. What other reasons are there for someone to have hives? So believe it or not, we're not done with the physical urticarias. There's a, a lot of physical urticarias. So we talked about dermatographic urticaria. Another one is actually pressure urticaria. So this can sometimes occur where you're maybe wearing tight clothing. So underneath your bra straps where they're rubbing, if you're wearing tight elastics on your underwear, even if you're carrying like a heavy bag, the strap on your shoulder, if there's prolonged pressure there, a lot of times people can get hives breaking out there. Um, there's vibratory urticaria, um, again, kind of similar to the pressure urticaria, but where you get vibrations, you can also develop hives there. So for the vibration one, could that be like if you're riding a bike on cobblestone? The most classic one for that is in the shower, the water vibrating on your skin. It is most commonly, I would say that patients, don't you think, Shreya, will... Yeah say that when they're in the shower specifically they'll get it and that I think is like one of the classic ones for that vibratory urticaria diagnosis. How would you diagnose us because if a patient comes in because I know I know I'm jumping the gun here and I feel like I know a couple of people who have this, but if they say, okay, I'm always in the shower and I get hives, how do you know it's the vibration and not the water? So there are different tests that can be done in the office with aquagenic urticaria or hives that are related to water. Usually it's just with contact with like any kind of water, still water. It doesn't have to be like the shower falling on you. So you can actually do tests in the office where you can place a patient's hand in room temperature water and see if they develop hives. With vibratory, there's actually a device that you can place on the arm and see if hives pop up there. I've never done that test file, have you? But I've, I've heard of that device existing. Yeah, no, I've never done that either. I'm assuming you could use a, a reflex hammer and potentially do it that way too. But I've never actually done that. And and Courtney, going back to your, would it would that happen on cobblestone? I, I guess it kind of would. I guess that would be potentially a, a movement that could. could trigger that. But it's not like one of the classic ones. I guess you're riding around on your cobblestone streets in Germany more than we are over here. Yeah, I'm like, I've never had anybody ask me that before. <laughs> you just picture someone with like a baguette and flowers in the basket of the front of their bike getting hives. All right. Uh, sorry. So I, I kind of jumped the gun there on a couple of things, but I was just curious because I've never heard of the pressure one. And to me, it seems like you have to be vibrating your whole body, but I didn't realize a shower vibrates as well. Uh, moving on though, because I feel like we've got a lot to cover. Where were you at in terms of what other reasons cause hives. So we're still finishing off the physical urticarias. A big one is actually something called cholinergic urticaria. That's something that um, essentially you get hives when you have an increase in your core body temperature. So the classic example of that is really with exercise. So somebody who says that every time they exercise, they start to sweat. That means their core body temperature has increased and they start to break out in hives. Another thing with cholinergic urticaria too, I find that stress can also trigger cholinergic urticaria, maybe just by again, increasing that core body temperature. It's an actual, a common one that I see a lot in the office. However, I also see stress triggering that idiopathic urticaria, um, which, you know, a lot of people will come into the office and say, I've been having hives on and off. And personally, my first question that I ask them, especially if it seems to have been going on for more than six weeks is, was there any event or is what's going on in their life in general? I don't even ask them if there was a stressful event. I just kind of say, has anything been going on in your life. And in probably 99% of the time, they'll say, you know, I lost my job. Things have been stressful. I got divorced. I, yeah, exactly. I got divorced. 
someone died. I haven't been in the office for a little while because of being pregnant and now having my baby, but it is, uh, I'm sure, pretty prominent right now during COVID. So just to summarize, cholinergic urticaria is generally caused when you have an increase in body temperature, so by sports or a hot shower, but it could also be caused by stress. And then stress is also a factor in the one that we're like, we don't know why you get hives, but it could be stress. Yes, exactly. And does it always happen? So if you're exercising, does it always happen? Or is it just kind of come on and off depending on how hot you get or like how intense your sport activity was? The latter. I don't think it, it doesn't always happen. And I actually personally suffer from this. So I can tell you from personal experience and from clinical experience with patients, it really does depend on exactly what you said, the, the type of exercise, how strenuous the exercise is, how you know, how high your core body temperature goes or what, what is that actual threshold for triggering the hives? Mine also kind of comes and goes. Like sometimes I'll go through periods where I don't break out in hives with my cholinergic criticaria. I can exercise and I'm fine. And then boom, it'll just like come back and all of a sudden I'm breaking out again. I think it comes about maybe again, probably related to just overall stress in my life. It's probably all very multifactorial. I think that's the most interesting thing for me with hives is just that link with stress. Even though we all know it as practitioners, I feel that for some reason in the literature, it isn't emphasized as much. But I think practically speaking, I counsel my patients a, a lot of the time to reduce distress in their life to see if that can help. And when I say reduce distress in in your life, you can't automatically like get a new job or do something to relieve the pain if somebody passed away. But things like exercising or doing things that relax you in the moments that you're having increased episodes of highs is what I recommend. So just keeping, I think, in mind that stress could be a factor sometimes actually helps people change habits to um, help cope with stress too, if that makes sense. Does stress play a factor in all types of hives or is it mostly just an idiopathic or cholinergic? So here's how I think of stress when I think of hives. I don't think stress necessarily causes hives. Like if you're allergic to a food, you eat the food and that causes the hives. I think what stress does is it increases the exacerbations of hives and people who already have a propensity to have hives. Personally, and again, stress is like something that's recognized more recently. It's like a newer thing. It's not really in all the textbooks. In my clinical experience and my medical opinion, I think that stress has been shown to exacerbate any allergic response really in the body. So I think that it can trigger any type of hive. Would you agree, Phil? Yeah, I think so. And I think in general, stress exacerbates a lot of different conditions. You know, we've talked yeah. about it with asthma too, like Shreya said, and a lot of different allergic conditions, stress can play a prominent role. I also know that stress triggers my eczema. Good point. That's yep. a huge one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a huge one. Yeah, it's always like the chicken or the egg, right? Is it, you know, the stress of your eczema is causing the increase in your eczema or is it the underlying stress that caused that to come about? So it, it's one of those confusing things, but I think we all just need to keep in mind how much stress affects our body in other conditions too, even heart conditions, all these conditions, stress is just a huge factor in making our body feel even worse than it already is. It's good to note that stress 
stress isn't just like a psychological thing necessarily, but it's also what's going on in your body. So if you have another medical condition that might be putting pressure on your body, that could be something else. So if you're like, I'm generally not kind of stressed, but if you have maybe a heart condition, your body is in a stressed state, right? Yes. Okay. So that is also true. So I think both things are true. And so it's, it's that a condition can make your body stressed, like you said, and can cause your hives too. So there's instances where, you know, an undiagnosed condition can also present itself as the initial presentation. People can start having hives. So you really need to look into a person's history and make sure that there isn't anything else that could be going on in their body that might have triggered their hives. But what I was also trying to say is that any condition can be made worse by stress. So if you have a heart condition and if you have high blood pressure, for example, and then you're stressed out, your blood pressure is going to be higher because <laughs> that stress can make many conditions worse. Okay. I think that's a good reason for everyone to start meditating. So we'll add some apps in these show notes for you to like get your meditation on and hopefully it'll help with your hives or whatever other conditions you have. Back to hives though, I know that we haven't even finished what triggers them. So <laughs> where are we at on that? Okay. Okay, so I think we are done with cholinergic urticaria, but there are some more physical urticaria. So there's cold urticaria. So this is right in the name, right? It's hives that occur with exposure to cold. It can be cold air. It can be cold water. Some people, even if they eat ice cream, they can, you know, that can trigger trigger getting hives. Similarly, there's also something called solar urticaria. It's hives when exposed to the sun. And then I think we talked a little bit about aquagenic urticaria, which was hives when you have exposure to water. So those I think are the main physical urticarias. With the cold solar or aqua genetic, does it happen where the cold or like where the sun is? So if you're wearing like lots of sweaters, but you just have your face exposed to the sun, is it just where the sun is? Is it just where you get cold? Is it just where the water is? Or can you have the trigger, but then I don't know if your leg is in water, but the hives show up on your arm. Is that possible? Usually it's going to be just wherever the contact is. So that's why we say, you know, for somebody who has cold induced urticaria, for example, if they live in a cold place, if you, you know, bundle everything up and, but just like your nose is exposed, just having your nose exposed shouldn't result in hives like everywhere else. Like you just want to kind of keep yourself covered from the cold. Similarly with the sun, as long as you protect yourself from the sun overall, uh, you, you should only get the hives wherever the exposure is. And with the cold, just for my allergy, food allergy friends there. So if you're eating ice cream and you have cold urticaria, would that happen in your mouth and on your face? Usually, yeah. Usually it's going to be local. That's a more rare one, but it does happen. I mean, I've seen it before. So, And I think you said inside your mouth. It won't happen inside your mouth. Sorry, not inside, more around. Right. Yeah. Around your mouth, but not like on your tongue and stuff. You're not going to get hives on your tongue. This This is a skin condition. So we kind of talked about this a little bit, but how would you diagnose hives? So I come to your office, I explain to you that this random event, I always get hives. How would that look for a patient when they come in and visit you? So for me, it's mostly a clinical diagnosis. It takes a lot of a conversation, getting the full history. So we talked a lot about some of the distinguishing factors of the rash that is called urticaria versus various other different kinds of rashes, right? So we're going to start by talking about when did they start? How long have they been going on? describe to me what they look like. Describe to me, are they 
they coming and going? How long are they lasting? So these are a lot of the questions that we'll ask. Of course, I'm going to ask you the symptoms associated with the highs. Are they itchy? Do they burn? Are they painful? Because some people will come in with rashes that might look like highs, but they're not itchy. And I mean, hives are very classically itchy. And so then sometimes you, you start thinking about other things. Of course, your doctor's going to perform a physical exam as well. So um, that way, if you have the hives, we can, of course, examine you, look at it. Um, it'll give us a better idea of what's going on. Pictures are great for if you do have hives, they'll disappear when you go see your doctor. <laughs> and so if you have something to show your doctor on your phone, some pictures, that's always very, very helpful. And then we talked a little bit about some of the tests that we can do as a doctor. We talked about the vibratory one. We talked about how you can expose the hands to water for aquagenic. We talked about how we can scratch the surface of your skin for dermatographic. There's also the ice cube test for cold induced. So we can actually place an ice cube on your arm for that one. So there's different types of tests there. Um, I know Bio mentioned too that you want to make sure there's no other underlying condition, other chronic medical problem going on. So sometimes blood work can be sent to rule any of those secondary causes out. And testing can be done for any type of diagnosing, any type of maybe new food allergy or new environmental allergies that could have been the cause of your hives. Ah, great. Yeah, because I was going to ask about environmental allergies and hives. When you have an allergic reaction, that's hives, but that's not chronic hives. That's acute hives. That's like if you get a virus, they just kind of go. But the chronic hives and the ones that we're talking about, it's really that they're constantly showing up. They happen in your life more frequently. So like maybe in September and then in November. So that's the hives that we're talking about. And that's how you're diagnosing those. Just to clarify once again, that it's not just like an environmental allergy or an allergic reaction or in certain cases a virus. Right. So for the acute hives, that's when, again, we're thinking about the allergic reactions, even environmental allergies, medication allergies, insect allergies. Maybe you got an insect bite um, and, and that resulted in an allergic reaction that presented as hives. So that's really when we'll do potentially skin testing or further evaluation to see if you were allergic to something. And, and you're correct. Chronic hives are a little bit different. That's like the scratching. We can scratch your arm to see if it's um, dermatographic or urticaria. Those hives are ones that are recurrent. You kind of mentioned something that's important. They can occur, like you said, one month in like September and then occur again in November. They can occur every single day for months at a time, every single day for years at a time. They can occur one year for an entire month and disappear for a year and come back the next year. They're they're very unpredictable. And in general, we say that about 50% of people, their chronic hives will resolve within one year and 90% within five years. But again, that doesn't mean they're going to have it every day for the one year or every day for the five years, but they can basically come and go in an unpredictable way during that time. I think I'll let Shreya talk about this too, is I don't always defer to testing patients with hives. And one of the other things to mention, because I know we've talked about skin prick testing versus blood tests for allergies and for patients with hives, sometimes the skin prick testing, especially if they have those forms of hives that Tria has been talking about, like pressure or the dermatographic hives, those patients, the skin prick test does not work because everything looks positive. So because you're pricking that skin and because they're so sensitive to that pressure or the, the sensation or the act of touching the skin, everything is going to look like a big welt. So that's why it's really important, again, to see an allergist because we're used to seeing these kind of reactions and we're used to knowing when it's somebody that's reacting to everything and doesn't make sense versus people will get skin prick testing from non-allergists and oftentimes they'll come back and say, I was allergic to everything and I'll test them and I'll say, actually, you're just dermatographic. <laughs> 
Yes, totally agree. Yeah, I was thinking, man, that's like an absolute nightmare situation. If you think you have food allergies or environmental allergies to everything, and it's like, nope, you just have hives. It would be quite a relief for a patient, I would think. So is there anything else about how you can get hives or how you diagnose hives? Because I would really like to know if there's a treatment for hives. Like, what can you do if you're always getting hives? Yeah, so this takes us really back to what we talked about in terms of what's happening on a cellular level, right? We talked about the mast cells that get activated, they release histamine. That was the word that I told you guys to remember, right? So if we know that histamine is what's really causing the major problem, then we know that what we really need to do is block the histamine. And so the first line therapy, most doctors are going to start with, or allergists are going to start with, is an antihistamine. The goal really, by using the antihistamine, the goal is to control the hives, control the itching, control the symptoms. It's not a cure because again, what it's doing is it's blocking the histamine. It's not stopping the process from the top. It's not stopping the activation of the mast cells, but what it is doing is hopefully blocking enough of the histamine to control the breakout of hives. There's different options for antihistamines. There's second generation antihistamines. Those are going to be the 24 hour ones like Sirtec, Allegra, Claritin. Those generally, they, they actually do work just as fast as Benadryl do, even though a lot of people like to jump to the first generation antihistamine Benadryl, usually less side effects as well, less drowsy. Again, they last the full 24 hours. So a lot of times your doctor's going to start with an antihistamine similar to that, but every patient is different. And I can't stress that enough. And that's why you have to talk to your doctor, you know, what is potentially the cause of your hives, which can help you then determine what is the best treatment for you. Because from my experience, I will have patients who will come in and one will say, Zyrtec worked for me. Allegra was garbage or vice versa. I'm like, everybody is different and everybody reacts differently to antihistamines. And some people need higher doses. Some people need combination therapy and some people need prescription strength antihistamines. So again, really, really important to talk to your doctor. What is combination therapy? So meaning multiple antihistamines, different antihistamines, kind of mix and matching them together. Your own antihistamine cocktail, basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I think Sheree also mentioned versus second generation antihistamines. And I think we've talked about that on different episodes, but essentially first generation just means the older ones like the Benadryl and another medication called hydroxyzine, which is a prescription one. And essentially, again, it's just literally they're older and they cause more sleepiness and more sedation. So we don't like using them as much. And then the second generation are the newer ones uh, like the Zyrtec and the Allegra's and the Claritin's that don't cause as much sleepiness. They're called the second generation antihistamine. When you use antihistamines as a way to help your hives, is it something that you would take before to prevent them? Or if you started getting hives, could you take them and then it would help you? So both. And I think that again, that is also really individualized. So what I usually discuss with my patients, you know, it it really depends on how often the hives are occurring for you and how much they're interfering with your quality of life. For a patient, for example, who's having them every single day, who is not sleeping at night because they're so itchy, who doesn't want to leave their house because they're covered in hives um, and they're embarrassed to scratch, use them preventatively. Use them every 
every day. Again, you might even have to have higher doses than what you might normally take just over the counter. And again, that should be discussed with your doctor first. So for a patient like that, I think prevention is key. In terms of somebody who might have it, like the patient you described, you have a breakout in September and you're good until, you know, the next month or November, you can really take it on demand. Um, And a lot of people will say they can start to feel it coming on. They get tingling or they'll get a couple of spots that pop up and they know it's starting again. And then you can always start it then. Antihistamines actually do start working pretty quickly. It just depends on your pattern of highs, really. Yeah. And that being said, it's, you know, if you do have a chronic form of urticaria that is very persistent and as soon as you stop the antihistamines, they come back. We don't want you to come on and off of those antihistamines in those situations. We really want you to try to stay on the antihistamines to try to get your body to, for lack of a better word, relax and really stop releasing the histamine and stop having those episodes. So I don't know if that's what you do, Sharia, but I just feel like if patients kind of come on and off, on and off of the antihistamines, then they tend to have episodes that just last longer. And so sometimes it's really important for patients to just be on that antihistamine daily for a little while, especially if they're having hives that are occurring daily, instead of waiting for them to come upon them to just kind of prophylactically take the antihistamine for a little while. Yes, I agree. I do the same thing in my office as well. So are antihistamines the only treatment for people with hives or is there anything else? Like if I have to take an antihistamine every day, it obviously says there's something going on. And is there something else that I could do? Yeah. So that's a great question. We usually start with antihistamines and about 50% of people will respond to that. I think it's actually been a little bit higher than that. But the people that don't respond to antihistamines, there is another option. It's actually a once a month injection. It's It's a biological injection called Zolaire or omelizumab. So what omelizumab is, it's an FDA approved treatment for chronic urticaria. And it's basically an IgG molecule. So it's an, it's a different type of antibody, not the allergic antibody, but it's an IgG antibody against the allergic antibody, the IgE. So basically this now is blocking the process from higher up. So by blocking that IgE, it prevents the degranulation or the activation of the mast cell. So now histamine can't really be released. So it's solving the problem from from the top, if you will. But it's also not necessarily a cure. So, and we don't jump to Zolaire or Omalazumab very quickly because there's obviously, there's side effects to every medication. So we really do try to see if antihistamines can control a person's hives before going into the biologic, but it is a form of treatment for that chronic urticaria. So again, only for patients who have had it for six weeks and longer. It's not something that we would use for somebody that gets them with like allergic reactions, for example. Correct. And usually they they will have had to fail a significant amount of antihistamines first before they could even qualify for Zolaire to Pyle's point. It's something that there is another option at least. So people who you know are on such high doses of antihistamines, if they have a lot of side effects, if it makes them drowsy, things like it is an option for them. So another thing that I wanted to ask is, do you ever use cyclosporin or any of those other therapies for your hive patients? I feel like some allergists do and some allergists don't. So personally, I used them. So 
these are immunosuppressants, immunomodulator medications like cyclosporine, and methotrexate. I use them in fellowship because we had some patients who failed Zolair, but I usually after antihistamines, I'll go for Zolair. And I have not to date had a patient who's failed Zolair. I will use it if I have to, but very cautiously because those medications do have their own side effects as well. I mean, they're immunosuppressant. So you're going to be monitoring a lot of other parameters, a lot of the other white blood cells. And so there's frequent blood work involved if you use those kind of medications. If patients need it, I probably would. Courtney, did we get too medical on that? No, but let me just rewind quickly. If Zolair doesn't work, so we talked about antihistamines, which work on one part of the reaction. And then we talked about Zolair, which works like on one step up. And then you guys mentioned immunosuppressants. So if Zolair doesn't work, you would go ahead and give your patient something that can completely suppresses their immune system. It's an option. It doesn't completely suppress the immune system. The goal really is, is that it suppresses enough of the mast cell degranulation, at least to control the hives, but it can have side effects of also suppressing some of the other good, you know, white blood cells in your body, in your immune system, but it doesn't completely suppress your immune system. And those medications are used in other chronic inflammatory conditions like arthritis and lupus and autoimmune conditions are commonly used in those conditions. Okay, so that's kind of like a last line treatment. For most allergists, that's a last line treatment. Like Viola mentioned, there are some that are probably a little bit more comfortable with or maybe use them more frequently. But most nowadays, especially with Zolair being so effective and readily available, I think less and less allergists are, are using those medications now. What about creams? So I think about hives being itchy and like wanting relief. Is there any types of like topical medication that you could use? So anecdotally, I have patients who come in and say, you know, they'll put a topical steroid on or cooling cream on. It sometimes can just help again, topically, just maybe relieve a little bit of the burning, a little bit of the itching, but ultimately it's not going to get rid of the hive and it's not going to suppress that histamine response from inside your body. They're just not going to work as well as the antihistamines. But anecdotally, I've had, I have had patients who will be applying topical steroids or topical anti-inflammatories and say it does help a little just with soothing. Yeah. And I think it's just important to remember, even though they are topical, they're still steroids like the hydrocortisone and things like that. So some people will start lathering their entire body because, you know, hives can affect most of your body. So they'll start putting like the steroids all over from like head to toe because they're so uncomfortable. And as you know, Courtney, steroid creams are because you use them for your eczema. They're okay to use, but you don't want to lather your body and those things. Yes, I use mine very sparingly because there are like some side effects that I don't want long term. If you do have chronic hives, <laughs> don't be lathering your body in hydrocortisone cream. Go see your allergist. There's a better solution. Definitely. <laughs> Talking about eczema, is there anything that someone with eczema should know about urticaria? Um, are they linked? Is there any like relationship that they have? So I don't think eczema or atopic dermatitis and urticaria are linked, but they can occur together, especially in atopic people or allergic people. And so that can be tricky because now you're dealing with two separate problems. To differentiate them, let's go back to, again, looking at what's the cause, right? So urticaria, mast cell degranulation, histamine release, hives, itching, eczema, 
really multifactorial skin barrier dysfunction, genetic, also hypersensitivity reaction. But then there's also like this T cell or, or cell mediated inflammation too, which is like a different type of inflammation in the immune system. So again, eczema is more complicated, just multifactorial. Just thinking about what's causing them makes you understand a little bit how, how they are different, but can still be intertwined. <laughs> I hope that kind of answers your question. When you do use topical steroids for eczema, that could also help soothe, just as Bio had mentioned before, lathering on just a steroid or an anti-inflammatory agent can help soothe the hives. When you take an antihistamine for the hives, which will of course help control the hives, it can sometimes help with itching for the eczema and it also can help you sleep a little bit better if you take antihistamines that cause drowsiness. So that can help break the itch scratch cycle, which we know is not a good thing in eczema. So the treatments can kind of overlap and help a little bit, but at the end of the day, they're different entities in my opinion, and treatments are completely different. Someone with atopic dermatitis or eczema shouldn't worry that urticaria is something that they could also potentially have. There's no link. So it's not a causation link. So having eczema shouldn't cause you to have hives. But again, they can occur together because eczema typically occurs in atopic or allergic people. Urticaria does not need to occur in allergic people, as Bio had mentioned. Like you can have people who have no allergic history at all, but all of a sudden are having a physical urticaria or, or some sort of chronic urticaria. But with somebody who has eczema, hives can occur just because of the mere fact that you're an atopic person. And and it's still, again, something that you should talk to your doctor about because the treatment is different. The cause is different. The pathophysiology is different, but it can happen together. So absolutely, it's something to be aware of for sure. Is there anything else about hives that you guys want us to know? Because I feel like we've covered a lot and I didn't realize how many different things triggered hives. Uh, But yeah, I would like to know if we've missed anything that I wouldn't know about. I think for me, the one thing that I really want to tell people, and I think we talked about this with eczema for sure, is just that even though people might say, oh, it's just a transient kind of skin condition or not that big of a deal, it's not necessarily a dangerous condition. It is so debilitating for some people that you know they have poor sleep, they feel like they can't go to work, they feel debilitated from their hives. And so it can really cause a lot of stress. So even though stress can cause it, the underlying hives can actually also cause stress. So we want people to understand that we, as allergists especially, because we see so many people with hives, we understand how stressful it is. And we want you to understand that there are options available, as Shreya has outlined them so perfectly. You know, you don't need to suffer if you've tried uh, Benadryl and Zyrtec and it's just not helping. And I think a lot of people also go to urgent care for this condition. It's not a place where where you're going to get that evaluation where we can really talk to you and figure out if you need that next form of therapy. So if you go to urgent care for your hives, you're never going to get offered Zolaire. Oftentimes you won't even get offered to be on higher doses of antihistamines. So there's just a lot of things that I think get missed when people come in and out of treatment from doctors that aren't used to treating hives. Would you agree, Shreya? Yeah, I 100% agree with everything that you said. It can be definitely very debilitating. Definitely see a specialist sooner rather than later instead of going to you know places like urgent care where you're probably just going to get oral steroids, which have its own side effect profile, might work while you're taking them. But as soon as you stop them, your hives are going to come back because you haven't really tackled what the underlying cause of the hives are, right? And so definitely I would agree with all of that. To build off of what you were saying, Bile is another reason to go see your specialist or you know your doctor 
doctor right away is even though these medications like antihistamines are all over the counter now, it, it scares me as a doctor because that doesn't mean that they can just be taken without discussing it with your doctor or especially if you're going to take higher doses, definitely consult your doctor about what's the right medication for you. All these medications do have side effects. It doesn't matter if they're over the counter. So I would say go talk to your doctor, find a good specialist and get the treatment. Yeah. And I think we didn't really talk about the oral steroids as much, but uh, taking prednisone, which is oftentimes given in an urgent care setting, we will use oral steroids for like a very, very severe episode for a very short period of time. But then you need to take it with some form of an antihistamine because you will almost get this rebound effect from doing a course of oral steroids. So people come in after they've been to the emergency emergency room for their hives, they'll get five day course of oral steroids and then they'll, they'll just come back with a vengeance. So it's just important to remember that although steroids and people can sometimes get addicted to steroids, not in the sense of a physical addiction, but more of just uh, an addiction in the sense of they just want to feel better. And so they'll just try to get steroids as much as possible. But like Shreya said, there's so many negative side effects to oral steroids that we've talked about even in other episodes that you cannot be on oral steroids indefinitely for your hive condition and you shouldn't be getting them every other week either. That is not okay. It's not okay in an asthma patient and it definitely is not okay in a patient with hives because we know that steroids have a lot of negative side effects. Yeah, that's a glaring sign. If you're taking that much steroid, you definitely need to go see an allergist because something is going on and that's not the way to treat them. If you do have hives and they are chronic, you should definitely see your allergist because I know like with with eczema that shows up on my face, how stressful that can feel and how, you know, you go out in public and you feel like people look at you like you're a contagious monster. <laughs> there are treatments and there are people that you can talk to about this, like your allergist. So if you have any questions, don't forget, you can always ask us on Instagram. And I just want to thank you so much, Dr. Patel, for joining us and sharing your Uticaria knowledge. Thank you, guys. This was really fun to discuss it with you. Don't forget, we'll have a bunch of links about all the different types of hives, some meditation apps, because we all need to conquer our stress. Ask us your questions on Instagram, and we'll be back with another deep dive sometime soon. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Remember that all information you hear today is for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider. And also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And if you have a second, help spread the word by rating our podcast and sharing with your friends and family who might also be interested in learning more about allergies, asthma, and immunology. You can always stay up to date by checking out our Instagram, The Itch Podcast, where you can leave questions you are itching to know, or check out our website, which is www itchpodcast.com, which contains more information about the subjects we covered in today's episode and every episode. Until next time, have a fabulous week.